All glories to Shri Prabhupada. Today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1, titled Creation, Chapter 3, Krishna is the Source of All Incarnations, Text 1. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Sutta Uvacha Chagre Parsham Rupam Bhagavan Mahadadibhi Sambhutam Sodashakalam Adho Loka Shrikshaya Jagre Parasum Rupam Bhagavan Mahadadibi Sambhutam Sodasakalam Adal Lokashishkshaya Sutta Uvacha Jagrehe Parsham Rupam Bhagavan Mahadadibi Sambhutam Sodashakalam Adaloka Shrikshaya Sutta Vacha Jagre Parusham Rupam Bhagavan Maharadibi Sambhutam Shodashakalam Adoloka Shikshaya Sutta Uvacha Jagre Parusham Rupam Bhagavan Mahadarvi Sambhutam Shodashakalam Adaloka Shikshaya Sutta Uvacha Sutta said Jagrahe Accepted Purusham Plenary portion as the Purusha incarnation Rupam Form Bhagavan The personality of Godhead Mahat Adivi, 
with the ingredients of the material world. Sambutam. Thus there was the creation of. Sodashakalam. Sixteen primary principles. Adao. In the beginning. Loka. The universes. Shikshaya. On the intention of creating. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Sutta said, In the beginning of the creation, the Lord first expanded Himself in the universal form of the Purusha incarnation and manifested all the ingredients for material creation. And thus, at first, there was the creation of the 16 principles of material action. This was for the purpose of creating the material universe. Report. The Bhagavad Gita states that the personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, maintains these material universes by extending his plenary expansions. So this Purusha form is the confirmation of the same principle. The original personality of Godhead, Vasudev, or Lord Krishna, who is famous as the son of King Vasudev, or King Nanda, is full with all opulences, all potencies, all fame, all beauty, all knowledge, and all renunciation. Part of his opulences are manifested as impersonal Brahman, and part of his opulences are manifested as Paramatma. This Purusha feature of the same personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, is the original Paramatma manifestation of the Lord. There are three Purusha features in the material creation. In this form, who is known as the Karana Dakashaya Vishnu, is the first of the three. The others are known as Garba Dakashaya Vishnu and Kshiro Dakashaya Vishnu, which we shall know one after another. The innumerable universes are generated from the skin holes of this Karana Dakashaya Vishnu, and in each one of the universes, the Lord enters as Garba Dakashaya Vishnu. <clears throat> In the Bhagavad Gita, it is also mentioned that the material world is created at certain intervals and then again destroyed. This creation and destruction is done by the supreme will, by the supreme will, because of the conditioned souls or the nityabada living beings. The nityabada or the eternally conditioned souls have the sense of individuality or ahankara which dictates them sense enjoyment, which they are unable to have constitutionally. The Lord is the only enjoyer, and all others are enjoyed. The living beings are predominated enjoyers. But the eternally conditioned souls, forgetful of this constitutional position, have strong aspirations to enjoy. The chance to enjoy matter is given to the conditioned souls in the material world, and side by side, they are given the chance to understand their, constitution, their real constitutional position. Those fortunate living entities who catch the truth and surrender unto the lotus feet of Vasudev after many, many births in the material world join the eternally liberated souls and thus are allowed to enter into the kingdom of Godhead. After this, 
Such fortunate living entities need not come again within the occasional material creation. But those who cannot catch the constitutional truth are again merged into the Mahatattva at the time of annihilation of the material creation. When the creation is again set up, this Mahatattva is again let loose. This Mahatattva contains all of the ingredients of the material manifestations, including the conditioned souls. Primarily, this Mahatattva is divided into 16 parts, namely the five gross material elements and the 11 working instruments or senses. It is like the cloud in the clear sky. In the spiritual sky, the effulgence of Brahman is spread all around, and the whole system is dazzling in spiritual light. The Mahatattva is assembled in some corner of the vast, unlimited spiritual sky, and the part which is thus covered by the Mahatattva is called the material sky. This part of the spiritual sky, called the Mahatattva, is only an insignificant portion of the whole spiritual sky. And within this Mahatattva, there are innumerable universes. All these universes are collectively produced by the Karanadakashayi Vishnu, called also the Mahavishnu, who simply throws his glance to impregnate the material sky. Omagyana Timarandasya, Janajana Shalakaya, Chakshuru Misam Jena, Tasmai Shri Guru Namaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam. When will Sri Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So, based on today's verses and the purport, we will discuss creation, why learning about creation is important, and how we can help this progress our spiritual path. So last week, I want to backtrack a little bit. I slightly misspoke when I said creation isn't that important in our daily activities. It is in the sense that it informs all our entire spiritual path. It is the science behind our faith. So while Pretty much on an everyday basis, I don't think about creation and how it affects, like, how it's progressing in my spiritual life, but it's there, like, it's background knowledge. Um, so one of the things that I find about creation is that it's, like, it's mind-boggling to me, right? 
So I'll be a little bit honest with you that this is a, a newer topic for me um, as far as like study wise. It's very confusing and I tried to break it down. I've been studying this verse and looking up all these things on creation and had to like literally write out a chart to kind of understand it. So I'll try to do my best to explain. Um, and I just want to reiterate creation, why it's important. One of the big things that came to me after last week was, you know, the entire first canto of Bhagavatam is entitled Creation. It must be important if one-twelfth of the Bhagavatam is devoted to creation, right? And then there's so many verses in other cantos that actually deal with creation, and the Bhagavad Gita deals a little bit with the creation as well. So um, that's important for us to know. Today we're starting chapter 3, which is entitled, Krishna is the source of all incarnations. So we'll, um, throughout this chapter, talk about that. That's the topic, right? Krishna is the source of everything. And last week we started talking about that, right? We talked about how he's the taste of water, and he's the strength in the strong, and he's the ultimate source. He's the... He's, um, the reason, right? Like everything starts from him. Um, so, and there's a lot to unpack in just today's purport and verse. So I'll just kind of keep my discussion of creation a little bit preliminary because the next few verses really do go a lot more into detail about it. Um, so I'll kind of focus on a few of the points that Prabhupada makes in the purport. So, to reaffirm, in the Bhagavad Gita 9.18, Krishna says, I am the goal, the sustainer, the master, the witness, the abode, the refuge, the most dear friend. I am the creation and the annihilation, the basis of everything, the resting place, and the eternal seed. So, here Krishna is saying that, you know, he's everything, he's creation and he's destruction and he's um where people come to rest but he's also the seed and he's our friend and he's everything right he's the goal he's the path to the goal he's you know the journey the entire thing he's the whole package so we get that he's the ultimate source and we can read a lot more about that in the brahma samhita right these there's like entire verses that brahma comes up with um, about how Krishna is the source of all sources. He's the cause of all causes. He's, you know, and there's such beautiful verses. We sing a couple of them in the morning when we do greeting um, of the deities. So, Krishna first expands himself into the Karnadakashai Vishnu, also known as Mahavishnu. And from the skin holes of Karnadakashai Vishnu, right, just the universes are created. They're just kind of pouring out of his pores. Um, and then the Mahatattva is the material sky. It's that it's where everything is kind of created. So that's kind of part of that, too. So you've got the Mahatattva, which is, I would say, it's kind of like a covering that separates the material world from the spiritual world. And that's where... Uh, Vishnu is, right? And then that's where, like, that's the elements that are being used to create. So into each universe, he expands as Garbhadakashaya Vishnu. And Garbhadakashaya Vishnu is the form in which um, Brahma is born from the navel. Right? A lotus 
um, comes from the navel of Garbhadakashaya Vishnu, and Brahma is formed from there. And then Brahma, in each universe, is in charge of creating, and he uses the material, the elements, and he starts to create. And then Shiradakashaya Vishnu is also known as the Paramatma, enters into each atom, living, non-living, every um, organic and non-organic matter he enters into. So Shiradakashaya Vishnu is the third Purusha um, incarnation, and he's the one that's in our hearts, the Super soul. So we can kind of get an idea about how vast this material creation is, right? We're just like one universe in all these other, you know, innumerable universes that's all part of this material world. But this material world is just a small part of the entire creation if you look at the spiritual world. Um, I heard my um, Gumaraj, uh, Tamal Krishna Goswami, say in a lecture that. I think it said one-fourth of the entire, you know, spiritual material world is material. So the rest of that is spiritual world. And even the material world, if we look at it, it's like it's expansive. There was a video a while back on Facebook. And, I, you know, it's like one of these things that people share. And it was like, this is you. And then, like, it expands out. And it's like, this is you in your city. This is you in your country. This is you on, and it shows, like, the earth. And it shows like the solar system, and then it shows the galaxy, and it keeps going back. And like the entire time, they have this little red dot of where we are. And after a while, you can't really see anymore where that red dot is. And so, like that's just that's just what we know. That's what we can see with extensive telescopes, you know, the Hubble telescope. That's just like even a small speck of what we're talking about here. And even that is so expansive and vast. It's another um, great example. Uh, this is an excerpt from The Servant of the Servant by Tamal Krishna Goswami, chapter 3, page 85. Prabhupada began to explain the plan of creation. So this is where um, they've come up with the cover of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, and one of the artists had painted the, um, this, kind of, this picture of creation. And Prabhupada looks at this and he starts to talk about creation. First, he pointed to where Krishna was and described how the entire creation was an extension of Krishna's energy. The Vaikuntha planets, broad and effulgent, were unlimited in number. Then Prabhupada pointed to the corner of the painting where the material world was situated. Mahavishnu is lying down there and millions of universes emanate from his skin holes. Prabhupada said, Each universe is filled with unlimited numbers of living entities who inhabit all of the planets and stars. One of these planets is our Earth, and on this planet are many continents. On one continent there is America, and in America there are so many big cities. Here is Los Angeles, and in Los Angeles there is a street, La Cienega Boulevard. On this boulevard, among all of the buildings, is the temple of the Lord Krishna. And in this temple, there is one Tamal Krishna. He is there, and he is thinking that he is very important. (laughs) So that's us, right? We think that we're very important and that, you know, everything revolves around me. I know I think that way. Like, you know, everything goes my way. I want to control everything. I, I, you know, it's like what I want, what 
and even that mean mind kind of extends out to family and community, but it's still like a small, compared to the entire world, compared to the entire universe, compared to the whole entire material creation, right? So Prabhupada says in the purport that we think, like we try to be the enjoyers, but we can't. Constitutionally, we are not the enjoyers. We're the predominated enjoyed, right? Krishna enjoys us. And that's our constitutional position. We're the enjoyed. So, you know, it's we're trying to do something that we're not, that's not in our nature because we want to do it, but we can't do it. So we don't succeed at it very well. But in order to truly enjoy, we have to become enjoyed, right? Once we kind of surrender and um, give ourselves into Krishna's desires and make our desires his desires and do everything for him, then we start to enjoy. And we enjoy because we're being enjoyed. So it's a little bit esoteric, I guess, but it's um, I'll get into it a little bit more. So when, you know, one of the interesting things about that video that I was talking about on Facebook was the comments, right? So you get, you get into a comment hole, sometimes two, three hours go by, and you're just reading comments um, on Facebook. But I was reading through these comments on this video, and the thing that struck me is that half of the people were like, wow, the universe is so expansive. God is great. This is proof of God. And half of the people were like, this is proof that there is no God. Look how much, like, it's just beyond our, you know, anthropomorphic um, thinking that God extends out through all these universes. And I thought that's really surprising. Like, you can have two very opposing thoughts on the same video. Like, one people, one people, one group of people see it and they think there is a God, and another group of people think, oh, there's no God. And I was thinking about that. Why would they react that way, right? For when I see it, I think, wow, look how expansive. There's such an intelligent design. There must be someone behind the intelligent design, right? Krishna says, I am the intelligent of the, I'm the intelligence of the intelligent, right? So there must be someone behind that intelligent design. But when you look at it from this big, vast universe, it feels very impersonal. Right? Like, we feel kind of lost. Like, when we feel like we're this speck, it feels very impersonal. And when we, feel impersonal, it almost feels like there is no person. So when we talk about the impersonal aspect, right, it's almost like there is no God. It's it's the same as thinking that, because there's not somebody there that you can have a relationship with, that you can relate to, that you can connect to. But here we find that, you know, one of the first things Krishna says is that he expands into uh, Karana Dakashai Vishnu. So he's the original form. And then he expands into all of this, right? So in the Bhagavad Gita, um, 7.24, Krishna says, unintelligent men who know me not know that I have assumed this form and personality. Due to their small knowledge, they do not know my higher nature, which is changeless and supreme. So people that aren't aware of God think that he takes on the personal form from the impersonal form. But he's saying, no, I'm personal first, and then I expand, and then, you know, I also become personal again. And he becomes personal again when he enters into our hearts as the Paramatma, as the um, 
Sherada Kashai Vishnu. So, it, you know, when you think of it in these terms of this vast universe and there's all these um, planets and universes and then each planet is inhabited by living entities, right? Just on Earth alone, we have so many species of living entities. And you think, well, you know, why does Krishna need me? Like, why, how am I important to Krishna, right? You can feel like that sometimes. You can feel a little overwhelmed. And in Bhagavad Gita 9.29, Krishna says, I envy no one, nor am I partial to anyone. I am equal to all. But whoever renders service unto me in devotion is a friend, is in me, and I am also a friend to them. So this is the second time that Krishna uses the word friend, right? In the earlier verse that I quoted, he says that I am the most dear friend. And here he says again, I am a friend to them. So what does that mean to you when you hear friend? What is What are the qualities of friendship that you're looking for? Someone that you can confide in, right? And you you would hope they hold your confidence and they don't spread it all around. Someone that you can do things with, um, hang out with, party. Other qualities? Helping, they help you. Right. You can exchange love with them. You can ha- have a relationship with them, right? So friend here isn't like Facebook friends, right? How many Facebook friends do you have that you actually keep in touch with and talk to and know, right? So Facebook friends are not the same thing. Or a fair weather friend, right? We all have that one friend or two friends that only calls when they need something or when times are good. They don't really come around when you need a friend. But Krishna's not like that, right? He's there for us always. He's he's always got our back, right? He's always going to be there for us. He keeps it real. He's loyal. Actually, we're kind of probably the friends that are more fair-weather friends to him. And, you know, we call on him when we need something. <laughs> Otherwise, maybe we don't think about him or call on him. So we're probably the bad friend in the friendship. Um, with Krishna, but he's all, he just remains that steady good friend no matter how we treat him, he's still going to be a friend to us. So, um, that's how we kind of come to that, back to that personal relationship with Krishna, right? We know that this friend of ours, he's got a huge response, I mean, not, I wouldn't say responsibility, but he's done this huge, amazing, awesome, thing where he created this universe and it's maintained, but he's also an amazing delegator, right? Like he just expanded himself to Karandakashai Vishnu and and those guys can take care of the creation and maintenance and he's just going to go and have fun and play and be our friend. Um, and that's why he does that, right? So he keeps himself separate. So he says, like, he's he created the world, but he's not in the world, right? He comes and he he doesn't become part of the world. He's not affected by the modes of material nature, by material energy the way we are. So um, 
we get to have that full range of who our friend is, and then we can really relate to him. I mean, even if you look at um, the relationship between Arjuna and Krishna, right, on the, in, in the Bhagavad Gita, on the battlefield, you know, Krishna, at first Arjuna's like kind of talking to him as a friend, and then when Krishna starts giving him knowledge, he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to bow down and accept you as my teacher. And then, you know, throughout, he even asks, like, oh, can I see your universal form? So, you know, Krishna expands and shows him who he truly is. And Arjuna realizes, like, man, this is not just my friend, my buddy. Like, he's God, right? And then he kind of goes back to um, his forearm formed and then is back to his two-arm form. But, you know, even Arjuna has to go through that with the friendship, with that relationship, to see the vastness of Krishna to appreciate that personal relationship that he has with him. So it's more fully informed. It's a more rounded picture. So when we look at, you know, again, why it's important to have this information, in Bhagavad Gita 7.17 to 7.19, Krishna says, of these people seeking knowledge, the one who is in full knowledge and who is always engaged in pure devotional service is the best. For I am very dear to him, and he is dear to me. All these devotees are undoubtedly magnanimous souls, but one who is situated in knowledge of me, I consider to be just like my own self. Being engaged in my transcendental service, one is sure to attain me, the highest and most perfect goal. After many births and deaths, one who is actually in knowledge surrenders unto me, knowing me to be the cause of all causes and all that is. Such a great soul is very rare. So again, at the end of each of these verses, Krishna is saying, like, you know, if you know all of this and you devote yourself to me, you'll come to me. And you're dear to me. You're not just coming to me. Like, you're, you know, you are dear to me. I love you. And I'm your friend. And I'm here waiting for you. You just have to do these small, simple things. Um, and so that kind of helps scale that down, that impersonal feel that we get when we look at the vast creation. And then in 7.30, he says, Those in full consciousness of me who know me, the Supreme Lord, to be the governing principle of the material manifestation of the demigods, of all methods of sacrifice, can understand and know me, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, even at the time of death. So he's really reiterating that I'm a person and you have a relationship with me. And... um. You know, I expand myself to Mahavishnu to create the world so that the conditioned souls have a place to enjoy, right? They want to enjoy, um, but he still remains personal for us to, ha- to be able to rekindle that relationship with him. You know, I think, you know, we talked about a little bit, again, I'm going to reiterate the Brahma Samhita is really important because it kind of helps us understand this vast aspect of Krishna as well as that personal aspect of Krishna, right? And we sing that in the mornings when we greet the deities because the deities are the personal forms of Krishna, right? This, the deities, Radha Kalachandri, are non-different than Radha Krishna. So, you know, we get this opportunity to have this relationship with 
Radha Krishna, Radha Kalachanji, right here in our very own Dallas, in East Dallas, nonetheless. So, you know, it's very exciting here. Um, and that's why, you know, that the Brahma Samhita is really important. In the Padma Purana, uh, Satya Vratti Muni, in a conversation with Narada Muni and Saunaka Rishi, says, O oh Lord, although you are able to give all kinds of benedictions, I do not pray to you for liberation, nor eternal life in Vaikuntha, nor any other boon. My only prayer is that your childhood pastimes may constantly remain in my mind. O oh Lord, I do not even wish to know your feature of Paramatma. I simply wish that your childhood pastimes may ever be enacted in my heart. So we can recognize that from our prayers that we sing during this special month that we're in, the month of Dhamadhar. And that verse where it says, I simply, I do not even want to know your feature of Paramatma, right? So we're saying we know all of these things, but we don't want to know because all we want to do is be engaged in loving service with you. So that's one of my favorite like lines of the entire Dhammadhar Ashtakam because it kind of just, there's a lot of, actually all of it's my favorite, but <laughs> it's one that every time I read through that verse, I get a little choked up because it's like he's available to us in this personal form, even though he's also this grand um you know, huge universal form as well, right? The Paramatma is the super soul in our heart that helps guide us to Krishna consciousness. Last week I kind of ended with saying that, you know, Krishna is the source of everything. He's also the source of our bhakti. When we're ready, he kind of ignites that spark in us and helps us to start coming, you know, like he guides us. The super soul within starts to guide us and becomes our first guru and then helps us to get um, external guidance as well. So that Paramatma is really, it's one of our closest um, incarnations to us, right? Because he's in our heart. But even that is not close enough. We want that personal form of Krishna playing, you know, in Goloka Vrindavan, stealing the butter, causing mischief. That personal form is, is really what we want to have that relationship with. So that's the mood of the devotee. And Krishna agrees. He says in 9.34, Bhagavad Gita, he says, Engage your mind always in thinking of me. Become my devotee. Offer obeisances to me and worship me. Being completely absorbed in me, surely you will come to me. So then, you know, we ask, how do we engage our mind in constantly thinking of Krishna? How do we get to that point where we have this personal relationship? And the answer is very simple. Right? I think I talk about it every class. The answer is very simple. We chant our japa, our um, mantra meditation with full attention, avoiding the offenses. Um, we associate with devotees. We read Prabhupada's books. We eat prasadam. We engage in kirtan. It's very simple. It's not so easy to do. But the formula is very simple. Right? And it's there for us to join and take what we can from it, right? It's, especially when we're working, it's hard to do all of these things. So it's, sometimes it's, it's small steps, you know, picking one or two things that you want to focus on and focusing on that. 
And this month of Dhammadhar is a great month to to focus on something spiritual like that because anything that's done during this month is such a powerful, special month that it's like um, doing a hundred times of that, right? So if you chant one round of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra on your beads, it's almost like doing a hundred rounds because it's that potent during this month. So I usually try to make a vow. I always encourage people to make a vow during Kartik, and it doesn't have to be like major life-changing, right? It could be some small thing. It could be like, I don't know, like you're going to chant at least two or four rounds in the morning before you get started with your day with, you know, with full attention, no TV, no phone, no Facebook. You know, it's starting small. Um, you know, for me, one of the things that I do that I enjoy about Kartik is that I, um, every Kartik, I make a vow, but I also uphold all of my vows from previous Kartiks, right? So I've been doing this for quite a number of years, but they're not big ones. Like when I first started, it was like, okay, I'm going to come to the temple three or four times, three or four evenings um, to, to offer a candle and sing the Dhammadar prayers. And the next year it was like, okay, I'm going to try to come every day, but, you know, there were certain days, obligations, I might have been out of town, that I couldn't come. So it was like a total of four or five days that I can miss of the month. And then the following, it was like, okay, I'm going to show up in a sari and um, on time, because sometimes I don't, I'm not really good about being on time. Um, so, the, you know, it was like a small thing, and I just kind of built on it. I think one year it was like I memorized the um, English translation of the Dhammadar prayers, and I made a vow to, like, say it um, throughout the day, like at least two or three times throughout the day. In whatever I was doing. Um, I know one year it was that I gave up TV for a month, which if anybody knows me, that's really hard. And it's been three days and I'm already going through withdrawals. So <laughs> um, that one was really hard for me. You know, so it's small. Like I think one year also, well, that one wasn't small. That one's big. But one year it was like, I'm going to make sure I chant my Gayatri at the times that we're supposed to chant them. But sometimes, you know, I don't get to, and I'll chant my afternoon, evening, in the evening. and you know. So, um, But, you know, every year I write it down, and so I know, like, this year, you know, I've got all of those, plus my new vow that I'm going to uphold this year. So, you know, we can do a little something, and then hopefully that carries on through um, our next, you know, throughout the next few months. I know one year I read the entire Bhagavad Gita during um, the month of Dhammadar, so that's 25 to 27 pages a day of, of uh, texts and purports. I didn't really read the Sanskrit. Um, and then after that, I just said, okay, I'm going to do two verses a day, and I'm starting now with the fifth reading of the Bhagavad Gita. So... Um, you know, it's kind of something that I try to, like, I try to start something during the month that I can hopefully keep as part of my habits and my schedule. So, questions? About what I talked about? Yes. In, um, in Catholicism, you know, when I was a kid, 
So they didn't have any image of God. And the only image we were presented with was like a um, an old man with a big beard sitting on a throne. And he had a blank oval for a face. And at the end of life, you were meant to, you were going to go before him. Um, sometimes even you see it on billboards now. It'll say, you know, when you die, you will meet God. And then it says something like, you have the choice of do you want to be eternally in heaven or eternally in hell? So, but the, the question that I have is, see, without that, without the deity and without the personal form of God, um, to me, my friends pulled me away from my Catholicism because, um, you know, we were being told like, okay, you have to love God. But, you know, you have feelings, you have desires, you want an intimate relationship, you want to have fun, right? So let's just say, for example, that's like a bucket of water. And a blank oval for a face is like a foam cup. So when you try to pour a bucket of water into the foam cup, it doesn't fit. So what I found was, you know, I went back into worldly life. Yeah, this is a question. So my my question is, when we're talking about the creation and so forth, you know, the um, generally people have no idea about God. So what do you present to them? So I think it depends on where they're at and what questions they actually specifically have. Because I know personally for me, if somebody's going to ask me about who is God, I'm going to go straight to the personal form. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk to him about this beautiful black moon, you know, face deity that we have, um, because that's personal and that's relatable. And you know, if somebody started talking to me about, you know, uh, Mahavishnu and. Garbhadakashai Vishnu and the creation, I would have, like, already my eyes already start glazing over. Even I'm talking about it, and my eyes are glazing over. Um, you know, and I, w- I would just be like, oh, okay, and walk away. It's the personal aspect of God that, you know, kind of helped me to choose to become Krishna conscious, right? Even though I've been Krishna conscious my whole life, there was a point in time where I had to choose to be so, not just based on the coattails of my dad and my mom, right? It was like there was a point where I had to actively choose. And I did it because of the personal aspect. Because it was, it, it felt right. And then a lot of Christians that I talk to that are very devout, they actually have a very personal relationship with Jesus, right? So that's where they they put the personal relationship because they may not have a full concept of God, but they have a lot of knowledge about Jesus. And so, um, right. And I mean, Krishna says that one who's in full knowledge of me is like my own self. It was one of the verses that I read. Uh, Thank you. That's nice. Did you have a question? Thank you for that. Thank you for that wonderful class. 
Um, it's Thank more you. of a sharing, if you don't mind. Yes, please. Than a question. Yeah, in um, which in the eleventh chapter, by the end, uh, when Krishna when Krishna shows Arjuna the two arm form, his original form, and um, if I can just read a few verses from that. Okay. Um, yeah, when it's text fifty one, when Arjuna thus saw Krishna in his original form, he said, "Oh, Ar- or Janardhan." Seeing this human-like form so very beautiful, I am now composed in mind, I am restored to my original nature. The Supreme Personality of God had said, My dear Arjuna, this form of mine you are now seeing is very difficult to behold. Even the demigods are ever seeking the opportunity to see this form which is so dear. The form you are seeing with your transcendental eyes cannot be understood simply by studying the Vedas nor by undergoing serious penances, nor by charity, nor by worship. It is not by these means that one can see me as I am. My dear Arjuna, only by undivided devotional service can I be understood as I am, standing before you and can thus be seen directly. Only in this way can you enter into the mysteries of my understanding. So Krishna was saying here that you know you can't really understand me by studying the Vedas or doing penances or charity or worship, but by doing devotional service, mm-hmm. that you can come to me, you can know me. And in the same way, we have Radha Kalachanji here, and by doing devotional service, service to them, either directly or indirectly, that we can get closer to them. So I think that was like very, very, um, very personal mm-hmm. in that sense. And um, um, yeah, Krishna gives the answer here. Yes, he does. It's, um, the Bhagavad Gita is a really great uh, book to study because it's a summary of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Right? So the Srimad Bhagavatam is like 12 cantos, lots of, um, what is it, 17,000, 16,000 verses? 18,000 verses. And the Srimad Bhagavatam is 750? 700. Um yeah, I should know that, two verses a day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you've kind of distilled 18,000 verses into 700. So it's really the essence, you know. And then if you even look at that, like, I, you know, some people say, like, chapter 18 is the summary, and you can get everything you need from chapter 18. And some people say chapter 2, and then there's the four primary verses. But all of it, it's just... It's all about loving Krishna and having a personal relationship with him, right? And how to do that. Yes. There's one lady who's become a spiritual master in our movement now, um, Mother Amelia. She's also a PhD. She comes here occasionally. She gives classes, but... To me, she is like the walking Bhagavad Gita. Oh, my God. No, the way she gives class. I don't know if you watch her on YouTube at all. Oh, she's an educator. She was one of like the, um, she had the Gurukul in um, in North Carolina. Drista Prabhu, who was here, he went there and worked with her. But um, she's, if you watch any of her classes, Ermilia, I think it's U-R-M-I-L-A, um, it's just astonishing. And then uh, the way she can unfold the Bhagavad Gita. 
And then uh, the other thing I was going to say is there's another group of really amazing classes. This devotee passed away, but Sataputa Prabhu, he t- talks, you know, he was a, a research scientist. He wrote a number of books and, and was like a leader in the Bhaktivedanta Institute. But his classes, if you put in Sataputa and you watch, oh my God, like on the way he talks about, you know, creation and the universe and everything and the research and the people. Like, yeah, the class I was listening to recently... He said he studied for eight years to give this 45-minute class. Yeah. And it's just amazing to listen to him. Yeah. I studied amazing. for like three days to give this. <laughs> no, your classes are really good. Thanks so this much for speaking. It's for really, me. really, really nice. <clears throat> now, actually, my inspiration is uh, Ritatva Jaswami because he, um, he's also like the walking Bhagavad Gita, right? Like he reads the Bhagavad Gita every 30 days. And... My goal is to be like him and be able to quote, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, like just by like a sentence, like I'll say this sentence and he'll be like, oh, that's Bhagavad Gita, this, this, and this. Like, I want to be able to do that. (laughs) And that's how he's like, he can just quote, you know. Good luck. We hope you do it. It's really a nice aspiration. You know, one other thing when you were speaking, um, I heard an example from Jai Pataka Maharaj, and uh, he gives an example of one sand gran- one granule of sand compared to all the sand that makes up the floor of the ocean. So he compares that to us as opposed to like trying to understand the vastness of Krishna's potencies. Well, you know, in that video on Facebook, it ends with starts to, like, towards the conclusion of it, it talks about there's, you know, like, all these planets and universes and even, like, the grain, all the grains of sand in the entire Earth doesn't even equal a portion of the entire planets and all the universes, right? But each grain of sand has more molecules and atoms than the entire universe, planets. So, how so it's like, it's, it's exactly, like Krishna's design is just, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that we're part of that. You know, it's like, wow. Right, in this one East Dallas, there's this one Jay Sri Radha, and she thinks she's very important. <laughs> All right. You are important, thank you for giving class.